Welcome to the Cybersecurity TLDR show, where we save you time by providing you the too long didn't read summary of cybersecurity topics and news. You can find us on YouTube with video and all the popular podcasting platforms for audio on the go. Now let's get over to your host, John Good. Welcome, welcome, welcome. My name is John Good, and this is going to be your threat intel briefing for the week of September 11th, 2022 through September 17th, 2022. If you're joining me live, this is Saturday. Thanks for joining me. Uh, we're on YouTube live. Make sure to like, comment, and subscribe. That way you get notified when there's future content that gets released, whether it's news like this or threat intel, threat intel briefings like this or training content or upcoming interviews with other professionals, all that good stuff. Don't forget that we're also on all the popular podcasting platforms. So the Spotify, the iTunes, uh, what else? There's a whole bunch of them, right? So if you're listening on there, make sure to subscribe as well. Leave us a review. Let me know how it's going. Let me know if you enjoy the show, if you want to see some different things, if you're interested in other kinds of content. So not just applicable to this show, but uh, all the content that I put out there. And let's see what else. Make sure to also check out the description because there is a link to the show notes, which is on my website. And that's because we don't always get through all the articles that came up this week that are important, but things that you might want to know. And then also too, obviously, as we kind of go through each article and each event, each headline, we don't always go through the, um, the more deep details. So like the technical details sometimes, because there's you know, some really intricate stuff that you're just better off looking at the actual article for. So that way you can go back and actually look at the full article and see, you know, everything that was explained in there. So that's the big benefit for that. And let's see, without that, with, uh, without any more delay, let's go ahead and jump into the articles here. So I'm not even going to delay it. We're going to jump right into talking about Uber and some of the articles that are impacting Uber and some of the recent events that have happened with them. So we'll start off with that. But first article, hacker pawns Uber via compromised VPN account. So this is really important. If you haven't heard about this, if you have heard about this, we'll talk a little bit more about it. But uh, ride sharing giant Uber took some of its operations offline late Thursday after it discovered that its internal systems had been compromised. The attacker was able to social engineer his way into an employee's VPN account before pivoting deeper into the network, the company said. While the, event, uh, while the, extent of the, bre- the full extent of the, the breach has yet to come to light, the person claiming responsibility of the attack, reportedly a teenager, okay, claimed to have troves of emails, data pilfered from Google Cloud Storage, and Uber's proprietary source code, proof of which he sent out to some cybersecurity researchers and media outlets, including the New York Times. That's pretty, uh, they pretty much have full access to Uber, Sam Curry, a security engineer at Yuga Labs, told the Times. This is a total compromise from what it looks like. So uh, then there was a follow-up article too here, and it says attacker apparently didn't have a single breach, uh, have to breach a single system to pawn Uber. In a tweet thread that some uh, security researchers reposted, Twitter user Corbin Leo posted claims from the alleged hacker that he used the socially engineered credentials to access Uber's VPN and then scan the company's uh, intranet. The hacker described finding an Uber network share that contained PowerShell scripts that, uh, with privileged admin credentials. One of the PowerShell scripts contained the username and password from an admin user 
uh, in Thycotic, their privilege access management tool. Using this, I was able to uh, extract secrets for all the services, DA, Duo, OneLogin, AWS, G Suite, the attacker claimed. The apparent fact that the attacker gained access to Uber vulnerability data submitted uh, via its bug bounty program is also problematic. So basically kind of total picture what happened. This, uh, this teenager, right, got into the network. And I believe one of these articles said that he got on Teams, Microsoft Teams, and sent out a message to the company saying that I am a hacker. I have breached Uber systems, right? So that was, you know, supposedly what happened, right? And of course, anytime you get hacked as a company, you know, you're going to be careful with what you release as far as the public, because you want to make sure that you know everything that happened, try to put the pieces together, bring in external companies to help kind of, you know, recreate that story and really find out what happened. But, you know, there's a lot to unpack here, right? First of all, the fact that this person could socially engineer an employee, get their VPN credentials and get into the system, right? So there, there's issue one, right? The next issue is how far this person can pivot into the network, right? Especially if you're not even required to breach a single system, you can just get onto the, the VPN and then access deeper channels without re-authentication or some kind of additional, you know, additional aspect, right? That's another serious issue. Um, let's see here, what else? I mean, another thing for sure is that, and it kind of goes along with that too, is that the fact that you're able to get deeper into the network and then you have these PowerShell scripts that have admin credentials apparently hard-coded in there, right? Like that's a serious issue too, right? Like that, that's one of those things that, you know, we shouldn't be seeing today. That's kind of one of those things that we would see 20, 30 well, 20, 30 years ago, <laughs> uh, that we would see, you know, 10, 15 years ago, right? 20 years ago, we would see a lot more credentials hard-coded into stuff. I mean, we still see it today, obviously, but that's one of those things that, you know, even if you're using a PAM, which Thycotic, basically the idea with that kind of tool is that think of, you know, a good comparison would be like pseudo, right? Like it, helps to granularly control permissions that you can do. And it's, it's a tool, it's a suite, right? That you can configure and grant cert, certain accounts privileges to do this or that or whatever. So really useful tool. But when you have credentials that are granted special access like that, and then you just hard code them into scripts or put them you know, accessible like that, um, that kind of defeats the purpose, right? Because if I can just get access to the, that script, then I can just run this with those credentials. So, and then same, like if you were using, let's say um, like Linux, right? Where you can run commands as another user, same kind of idea, right? So if I'm able to run commands as another user, same situation, um, then I can do whatever, right? Like whatever that account is able to do. So there's a lot of issues with all of that. Now we look at the whole idea of accessing bug bounty reports, right? If you don't know what bug bounties are uh, or bug bounty programs, basically the idea is it's a crowdsourcing uh, penetration test or, you know, basically that is the summary of it, right? So companies will have these programs, they will put certain restrictions in place and they will go to platforms like HackerOne or BugCrowd 
or you know, there's several different platforms. Companies will even host their own private ones, and they will say, okay, hack these, you know, these websites, hack these services, whatever, and report any vulnerabilities that you find, and we will compensate you for that. So usually it's based on severity, right? So if I, you know, if I'm able to find a remote code execution, usually that's pretty dangerous, right? Because I don't even have to be on your system to execute code. And then if it impacts very critical systems, then it's even worse, right? So typically that's kind of how the the bounties and the payments, they escalate, right? So if you can find something really, really uh, sensitive, really critical, then you're going to get a high bug bounty. You might get you know, five, 10, 20, 30, $100,000 for some of this stuff. And so that, that's the idea, right? So if you can access where all that information is stored, you've just unlocked all the vulnerabilities that are for that network, for that system, for that company. And the kind of the crucial thing here is that when you get reported stuff like that, that stuff obviously doesn't get fixed overnight, right? Depending on what it is, it could take, you know, days, months, uh, probably not years. If you if you're taking years to fix some of these vulnerabilities, then you probably have other issues. But you know, it can take a while to fix that stuff because depending on what it is, you might have to put in some redundancy in place. You might have to put other systems, change your policies, test your policies to make sure they're not going to break anything. Like, there's a lot of steps that potentially could impact this, right? Or get it uh, implemented into new code. And so, you know, not to belabor the point, but you know, there's more than likely some active vulnerabilities that are in that, uh, that database or whatever it was, that storage system with all that information. And, you know, especially because it's a teenager, we're going we're gonna to say, especially because it's a teenager, you know, there's a little bit of lack of discretion typically, right? They, they aren't going to, you know, eh, they, they probably try to take all the data, right? And, you know, that's a serious issue. Is this person going to, you know, later try to uh, try to submit something in a bug bounty program? I mean, probably not as themselves, right? But they might sell off data, right? If they have the um, the courage, we'll say, to uh, you know, or bravery to try to impact or uh, breach a system like Uber, right? Some massive company that's very well known. You know, they probably. Um, also would be likely to take some of that information, some of those bug bounties or um, the bugs, the vulnerabilities that are found and sell off that data too, right? Sell off that data to somebody overseas or in another country or, you know, whatever on one of these underground forms. And, you know, that's, that's a serious issue too. Um, so it'll be interesting to see, you know, how this kind of plays out and what happens to this individual because you know, um, we're, we definitely see a lot more younger people trying to get, uh, trying to hack systems, right? They're trying to get into companies and there's sometimes there's big events too, where they just, you know, they really, really cause a lot of damage. Um, but I think, you know, this will be an interesting thing to follow. This is another reason why as a young person coming up in this career field, or even an older person just starting out in this career field, as you kind of start to learn about some of this stuff and these tools and stuff, do not run them against companies that you don't have permission to do so in writing, right? Like you are contractually or in writing uh, allowed to do because, you know, the penalties are just getting, um, 
they're getting more harsh with stuff like this. So especially when they can attribute it to a specific person or a group, you know, they're going to come after you. So, and you do not have deeper pockets than Uber. Just saying. So uh, we'll see what happens with that. But that'll be interesting. Uh, Next article, draft EU AI Act regulations could have a chilling effect on open source software. So new rules drafted by the European Union aimed at regulating AI, artificial intelligence, could prevent developers from releasing open source models, according to the American think tank Brookings. The proposed EU AI Act, yet to be signed into law, states that open source developers have to ensure their AI software is accurate, secure, and transparent about risk and data use in clear technical documentation. Brookings argues that if private companies were to deploy the public model or use it in a product, and it somehow gets in, uh, in trouble due to unforse- some unforeseen and uncontrollable effects from the model, the company then should probably try to blame the open source developers and sue them. Open source developers should not be subject to the same, and this is a quote, should not be subject to the same burden as those developing commercial software. It should always be the case that free software can be provided as is. Consider the case of a single student developing an AI capability. It can't afford to comply with the EU regulations and may be forced to distribute their software, thereby having a chilling effect on academic progress and on reproducibility of scientific results. So, uh, you know, with this, this impacts, you know, a lot of businesses, a lot of tech areas, um, especially as artificial intelligence kind of comes to be, but also other stuff, right? Not just artificial intelligence, because that, if it's successful as far as getting implemented, then that's going to kind of set the pay, uh, set the way for other similar kind of regulations. But with AI, you know, there's a lot of, um, a lot of, uh, spec, um, just a lot of concern with, uh, how it can be used and where it will be used and kind of the behind the scenes information about it. Right. Because we've seen things like LinkedIn where there's new profiles popping up with artificially, uh, generated images and, um, you know, just in general, like how do we use artificial intelligence? Like, are we going to use it at the border as far as letting people into our, uh, into your country and, you know, um, with law enforcement and all this kind of stuff. Right. So it's definitely interesting to see them crack down specifically on artificial intelligence and not really mention a lot of other stuff, but you know, I mean, that, that is a valid point, right? With open source stuff, typically a lot of that stuff gets documented by the community, right? Like it's not typically released with a lot of documentation in place, you know, other than a couple of comments or something like that. And that's, you know, from a volunteer standpoint, right? If you're looking to find somewhere to get involved with cybersecurity, volunteer to create some documentation for some projects, um, especially like open source stuff, because, you know, again, a lot of that stuff lacks documentation and if you can help, you know, then it's great. Um, and then it looks better for you, but we'll see with this. I don't know if this is going to go through because I think there's going to be a lot of, uh, pushback from the open source community because again, yeah, it's very expensive to create documentation if you have to do it beforehand, right? Like you could create a model or something and then it could take you months to create documentation if you thought about it after the fact. Should you think about it after the fact? Probably not, but you know, that's another discussion. But uh, it'll be interesting to kind of see you know, how, that, um, how that plays out. All right, let's see here. U.S. government, offensive cybersecurity actions tied to defensive demands. 
Offensive cyber operations are best known as acts of digital harm, mainly in the context of cyber warfare with nation states, particularly intelligence organizations serving as the primary actors. In 2018, the Department of Defense, the DOD in the U.S., uh, published a cyber strategy summary introducing a new concept called Defense Forward. Summary states that the DOD will defend forward to disrupt or halt malicious cyber activity at its source, including activity that falls below the level of armed conflict. It marked a radical shift in the military's strategic posture and signaled that the U.S. would not wait until a malicious cyber act occurred before taking action. So typically, you know, the stance has been that, especially in like the U.S., like we don't hack, hack back, right? Like we don't hack back uh, attackers or groups or nation states or anything like that. Um, I think this is kind of just the way of the world and how things are kind of evolving. You know, as a company, right, if you get hacked and you have a lot of resources or as a government, right, um, is it, you know, is it right to kind of just sit there and take it, right? It's like if you get in a fight and somebody punches you, is it uh, reasonable to just sit there and take it, right? Like just sit there and allow yourself to, to take hits, right? Or is it uh, pertinent? Is it reasonable to uh, fight back, right? And I think that's a big question, especially with uh, cyber attacks and hacking and cybersecurity and the internet and all this stuff. You know, typically the more proactive you are, the better chance you have at being successful and being secure and maintaining your security, right? The more reactive you are in general, the worse off you're going to be because attackers are typically one step ahead, you know, and that's just the way it's probably always going to be. But if you can think like an attacker, if you can uh, resist, if you can fight back and essentially, you know, cripple actions of attacking groups or, you know, people that are people that are attacking you, we'll just say, uh, then, you know, you can definitely be in a good situation where people either are going, are going to think differently. So they're going to not try to attack you or they'll have to spend more and more and more resources to try to combat what you're doing against what they're trying to achieve. You know, and this really reminds me a lot of these kind of CTF, um, CTF competitions that are coming along where it is not, uh, it's no longer just about the offensive capabilities, right? Like, so some of these CTF uh, competitions, like there was one at, um, I think it was hosted at Black Hat. Um, it was part of the Black Hat DEF CON like week, <laughs> but um, I think it was part of Black Hat. But there was a competition where you not only had to defend your internal networks, so you had, I think they had like web server and like some other stuff, right? Some internal resources, but you had to defend that while trying to attack other, um, other teams, you know, and we're seeing a lot of shift in those kind of competitions because, you know, that's the way the world, I think that how things are going to evolve, at least from obviously a government standpoint, you know, you're not going to be able to be a foreign nation and just start poking and prodding at like the U S right. The U S government, it's just not going to work out for you. So, um, that's one thing that I don't think that we're going to see a ton of information about because, you know, that's just probably not something that they're going to publicize, but it is an interesting concept, right? To see 
um, see them so open and um, uh, willing to really, you know, take all measures that are necessary. So pretty interesting. Just a reminder that if you're watching it live on YouTube, make sure to leave a like, comment, and subscribe. Uh, also, you know, leave a comment, interact in the chat, do all the good stuff. Um, and then also to uh, check out the description for a link to the show notes. And you'll see all the articles in there. Again, there's going to be more than we're going to cover in this episode, but you'll be able to uh, read a little bit more in detail about what we're covering as well. Uh, and then if you're listening on podcasting platform, make sure to uh, subscribe as well and leave a review. Let me know how you're enjoying it. And also, too, uh, looks like we have one of our uh, channel friends, the Big Bald Azure guy is on here. So welcome, welcome. Thanks for joining. Thanks for joining. And uh, yeah, let's get back to the articles here. So next article, Biden orders deeper scrutiny of foreign investment in tech and supply chains. The Biden administration is ordering a panel that screens foreign investments for national security risks, the heightened scrutiny of, de of deals that may give China and other adversaries access to critical technologies or may endanger supply chains and personal data. An executive order signed by President Biden on Thursday doesn't expand the purview of Committee on Foreign Investment in the U.S. Rather, it's intended to sharpen the uh, interagency's panel's force on administration priorities and signal to business the types of transactions that might deserve added screening, administration officials say. Uh, and then they say uh, particular areas cited, let's see here, uh, manuf critical manufacturing uh, or particular concerns cited in the uh, security supply chains and whether an investment might give a foreign entity control of critical manufacturing capabilities, mineral resources, or technologies. So, you know, all in all, every country is concerned about import-export, right? Like what are we creating internally? And what are we, you know, so what are we sending out to other countries? What are we, um, if we are developing things that are internal and then also, you know, what are we bringing in? Are we bringing in things that potentially can make us vulnerable or that give other countries access to our internal resources without our approval? You know, so that's kind of the big thing, right? And then of course there's, um, there's regulations on things that are, for instance, like could be military use, so like satellites and you know all that kind of stuff, right? So there's all these different kinds of import and export regulations that uh, have to be considered, and you know this is kind of no different. I mean, really, with you know some of this stuff, it really is, um, you know, they could definitely give you an advantage, right? Uh, the one thing that kind of comes to mind immediately as far as import export regulations would be like cryptography, right? Like I remember when I was studying for my CCNA, you know, um, within Cisco, you can set different uh, encryption algorithms and key strengths and things like that, right? And so that's kind of what I was learning about. And, you know, there, mm, there are certain countries that will only allow you to use a certain encryption strength, right? And so there's regulations on like encryption products, like what can we export? Same kind of idea, right? And so this is you know, just kind of a, a more focus on that idea, right? Because ultimately, as a country, you just don't want to give, uh, you don't want to give out too much, right? 
and you don't want to accept too much and become reliant on other countries where they potentially could do like spying or you know impact your economy uh, un- unwanted in unwanted ways. So, you know, kind of an interesting, uh, interesting thing as far as an article. Uh, let's see here. Let's keep rolling here. Uh, next article, phishing scheme targets mid, uh, Mideast researchers uses herd mentality approach to dupe victims. So this one's really interesting, actually. Uh, hackers are using a clever new phishing technique to create email threads with multiple responses to trick potential victims into thinking bogus messages are legitimate. The cybersecurity firm Proofpoint has identified the group deploying these so-called multi-persona impersonation emails as TA-453. The company previously linked TA-453 to Iran and says their activities overlap with other groups called Charming Kitten, uh, Phosphorus, and APT-42. The tactic is designed to create a stronger impression that the activity is real, the researchers said, by employing a psychological phenomenon known as social proof, sometimes referred to as herd mentality, the idea is that people are more likely to engage if they see others doing it too. So if you've never heard about social engineering and kind of the psychology behind that, it really tries to take advantage of the human aspect of things, the human element. So there are a whole bunch of different ways that you can do it and a whole bunch of different things that... Um, that you try to capitalize on from a social engineering aspect. So one is like intimidation, right? Like I am, I'm going to pose as the CEO of the company and I'm going to really put pressure on you to intimidate you to do something. Um, you know, there, there's a whole bunch of them, right? And then this one is herd mentality to kind of, um, you know, everybody's doing it. So why, uh, everybody's involved. So why don't you get involved? Um, this is legitimate, right? her mentality. Um, really interesting area of cybersecurity. I highly recommend if you're interested in the social aspect and um, kind of going after the human element that you should really look into it because there's some, there's some cool uh, examples of just, you know, things that, uh, things that are, that are related to social engineering, right? Be careful about social engineering people, but um but it's a really cool area that is not technical, right? And it just, it, you know, really goes after the human. But, um, you know, one thing that comes to mind with this specifically is that, you know, user training, right? Especially with something like this, um, think about an email, right? Where it has a bunch of replies to it. You know, would you look through that and kind of think about, you know, who is in there or what information is in there? And would that trigger any alert or would that legitimize what you're getting? Um, To me, that seems absolutely like kind of an uh, advanced level of doing that, of dealing with email. Because if I, let's say, um, you know, as an example, let's say we have a thread of emails, right? So there's a bunch of responses in an email that you get and it's like, oh, the second to last reply was like, check this link or something like that you know, that might seem legitimate. And especially with emails that have like HTML and stuff, you can, you know, configure them or write it out where it looks like a legitimate thread in like Outlook or Google or, you know, any of this stuff. Right. And so it's pretty interesting. This is the first time I think that I've seen uh, something like that with um, 
taking advantage of kind of threading, right? Or creating a thread within your email. And um, yeah, I, I mean, it's always interesting when you see some of these techniques that aren't like, they're not overly sophisticated, but they are like advanced kind of next level thinking, right? Like they are really focused on how the mind works and how people react to emails. So um, very interesting. You know, I guess we'll see if this continues or kind of uh, if other groups kind of get on board with this. But um, yeah, be, be on the lookout for that. Make sure you train your users on that too, right? Add something like that to your user training because, you know, every year at least people need training as far as how to uh, be secure. But, you know, realistically, we'd like them to get it more. But add that to your training because that is, you know, that's something that they can stop and that they can not take part in. But you're not really going to create a tool that is going to stop that. It's just going to do its thing, right? Like, there's no, there's no filter tool that's going to stop that. So, um, definitely, you know, definitely be on the lookout for that. Uh, next article, just from a career standpoint, uh, 2.5 million dollar grant funds intelligence and national security center. Uh, so. The Office of the Director of National Intelligence, ODNI, in the United States has awarded $2.5 million grant to St. Louis University, SLU, to create a new center, NSLU's School, school for Professional Studies, dedicated to preparing students for professional positions in the 18 U.S. intelligence agencies. So, you know, with schooling and trying to get accredited programs and going to programs that are known, if you're looking at universities, especially in the U.S., the NSA has these centers of academic uh, excellence and you just go on their website and they'll be able to show you, you know, which schools are included, which kinds of designations they have. So what kind of work and research and things like that they do. But if you're in the U S and you want to go to a university and you want to study cybersecurity, look at one of those universities uh, because they follow similar curriculums amongst all those universities. They have to, in order to be on that list. And, um, you know, also one of those universities can then help you, uh, if you want to get into something like the NSA or, uh, one of the U S government organizations, if you're outside of the United States, I'm not as familiar with, um, with how that works, but they are going to have some similar kind of things where, you know, they're going to follow similar kind of curriculums and worst case, what you can do is you can go look at one of those universities. And you can look at their curriculum and compare it to one of the uh, universities in your country and see if it aligns. Because typically, you know, the curriculum is pretty, um, you know, it's pretty standard as far as what we would think. But there are some programs um, over the years that have not followed some of that standard stuff and kind of are like, I'm going to do my own thing. And, you know, that's, yeah, just no, 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 no. It's like encryption when people try to roll their own encryption, right? Uh, no, no, you're just, you're, don't do it. It's going to get broken. It's not that secure. Just like with the education system, make sure you follow, a, you know, some standard kind of curriculum type things. So people get a, uh, a consistent exposure to things that they really need to do. But um, just be careful with that. And typically that falls more with, um, you know, some of these un unknown programs where they kind of just pop up and they're like, Hey, we have no presence online, but we have this website and then this is all our information. 
you know, so just be careful. Um, but um, let's see here. What else? Uh, oh, and also just because of that, um, there was, um, uh, I remember seeing, I think it was ISC Square. They were talking about trying to get a ton of people into cybersecurity or cybersecurity educated. And I think that was like uh, Europe or um, the UK or something. It was kind of in that general uh, geographic region, right? Um, so check that out too if you're if you're over there. But a lot of organizations are trying to get people into cybersecurity. They're trying to do funding. They're trying to set up that pipeline of where we're going to get a bunch of professionals that are going to start coming out and are are at least ready to start getting into like entry level roles. Now, getting into entry level roles that's a whole another whole another discussion. But um, you know <laughs> that's a whole another discussion. But um, if you are looking to get in cybersecurity, that's definitely something worth looking at. Uh, also, check out my ebook because I have a roadmap on my website in my free ebook where I talk about the skills and certifications that you really should get. And that's based on my experience, based on what I've seen, what I've experienced, and what I see going forward, you know, the best path to really follow. And then also other skills too, right? So soft skills and things like that that you really need to focus on. Uh, let's see here. All right. Uh, so that's going to be it for today. That's all the articles that we're going to cover. Again, check out the description for the show notes on my website. I do have other articles that are linked in there too that we didn't get to as well as these articles. So you can read more about these specific uh, articles if you would like. And um, that way you can you know just see more about what's going on in the world. But either way, if you join me today live on YouTube, I want to appreciate uh, I want to say thank you. I appreciate you for joining me. Make sure to like, comment, and subscribe. Leave me a comment if you have questions uh, or if you enjoy the content, you want to see some other changes, you want to see other kind of content, all that good stuff. And then you'll get notified too for future content when you hit the bell and the subscribe, um, the subscribe button. And then if you're listening on podcasting platform, because remember, we're available on all podcasting platforms, Spotify, iTunes, and all the other possible ones that are out there. There's a whole bunch of them. Um, but also make sure to subscribe, leave us a review again. Let me know how you're enjoying it. If you want to hear about different things, if you, uh, like certain things, all that good stuff, we appreciate all the feedback because we try to always get better every, uh, every episode, every video, every show. And that way we can continue to provide you value. But, um, with that being said, Again, I'm John Good. This is your Threat Intel Briefing for September 11th, 2022 through September 17th, 2022. And I want to thank you for joining me and enjoy the rest of your weekend. Enjoy the rest of your week. And I'll see you next time.